Hello, and welcome to the Rooted Tomorrow podcast. I am your host, Teeny. And I am your host, the Jafon. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are having a good, fun podcast for you guys today. A good, fun one. I'm just kidding. It's really not that crazy. Um, but for those of you who have not uh, listened or are new or are returning, I guess, this podcast is a resource for parents to have conversations, gain new perspectives, and encourage you as you continue down the journey of parenthood. You know, the conversations piece, it's really just you and I having a conversation. <laughs> Facts, dude. It is. Okay. But, but it sparks up conversations maybe amongst other people and their different parent groups or with one another or makes people kind of look more introspectively Hallelujah. as well. Thank you. Having conversations with themselves. Yeah. Okay. okay. Got it. So let's not get smart here. Anyway, how's it going, Jay? Anything new with you? I uh, got a marathon coming up in two weeks. So just been running. Yeah, running you guys and running. stop talking about that. So Well, we have just been in the middle of, once again, another baseball season. As you know, here in Las Vegas, we have year-round baseball, which I don't know why I do this to myself. I sign, I'm sign. i the one who signs up the kids for this stuff, right? Like every season, I sign them up, and then I'm like halfway through the season, I'm over it now. Well, it's because you try to be like the MVP baseball mom doing, oh, I can stand in the concession booth. Oh, you want me to bring some? Oh, yeah, I can take pictures. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, what? then you're overwhelmed. So you just got to show up and watch the game. I am a people pleaser. I don't (laughs) say no. But two, actually the snack shack thing is a requirement unless you want to pay a $200 opt-out fee for each kid, which is more than you pay for the season. So no, thank you. I will sacrifice a few hours of my time for that. Two, every parent has to do snack, game snack. Well, that was the point number one you just made. Volunteering? Yeah, you said either I have to pay two hundred dollars no, or every. No, there's a snack to. shack. You have the snack shack that you go like where people go and buy stuff like hot dogs and treats. Parents have to work at that, but then there's the game snack that you have to put together for each kid on your team for after the game. It's not just orange slices and a Capri Sun anymore, Jafon. I would just bring them a cutie. I did do that, but it was in the bag with a lot of other goodies. That's all they're getting. Eat a, no, eat a man see, that's orange the thing. and call it a day. Like, this, is, this is a perfect segue. And, and you want you want something to drink? There's a drinking fountain over there. The water might taste like it has lead in it, but it's fine. You literally would never do that because you are yeah. the most bougie person in the entire world. Oh, you want your Avion water? <laughs> You're like, here's your alkaline. <laughs> Let me give you your alkaline smart water. Here, oh, here's a drop of du- Duterra in your mouth. my kids not i'll kill you anyways well this that was a perfect segue because it kind of leads into a little bit of what we are going to discuss today competitive sports and youth so i kind of was talking to you a little bit before this off camera jay but growing up did you ever see a like kids that were in club ball did they receive like first slots on like your high school team? Baseball, yes. 
football, like, you know, the kids who played Little League football, always like, oh, he's been the quarterback since we've been in fourth grade. He's going to be the quarterback at the high school. So there's yes. Basketball was more individualized. So not necessarily if you're good, then you can make the team. I mean, though I still played in like tournaments and different teams outside of high school in basketball. So you there's did? that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where was yeah, I? Probably running around in the same <laughs> socks through the neighborhood. <laughs> and then, but think soccer, of course, there was like outside soccer teams and both girls and boys played. I know like a lot of my friends played that. And then track too, like the great people who were like really good at track didn't just run at high school or in middle school, the little tracks thing we had, but they ran competitively and then you would go compete nationally, you know? Oh yeah. Like this, like the, what was that in Cedar city that you guys used to go to? Yeah. Where there was like Utah summer games. And then they had like regional competitions where you would travel. Then if you made it past your regionals, then there was national championships and, you know, so in all of it, I think at a young age, I didn't realize how much it cost. That's why we, I was only able to do a few things like basketball was really, really it. But some of the kids that we grew up with that, you know, like they were able to do all of them, especially the the people who were super jocks. So I guess I didn't realize that when I was initially putting together this podcast, because growing up, like for me, and maybe it was because I also did go to a different high school than UJ. Like I went to, I went to several different high schools. But the one that I mostly remember was Granite High School. And Granite High School was in not the best area of town. And I literally just remember kids just like showing up for different sports and trying out and getting on the team. I didn't realize there was this whole other aspect of club ball and competitive sports outside of high school. I also was never aware at how early these like competitions and like the competitiveness starts with these youth, right? So growing up in Utah, I or where I grew up, I wasn't aware of that. I was also a cheerleader. And I did know that a lot of like what it came down to cheerleading, a lot of that was very political. So you did do competitive cheer. You also did high school cheer or vice or like one or the other, but you were a part of a competitive league of some sort. And same thing with dance. I did always know that dance was an extremely extremely competitive sect of high school like it was like I feel like almost dance was more elite than cheer in our school anyways Mm -hmm. in Utah County when I was graduating um the high school I graduated from that high school was very very dance driven and the the girls there were in dance teams on in club dance on club dance teams from the time they were four years old so shifting gears going from us growing up to now, you know, I'm experiencing this all firsthand now. My nephew is now 15 years old and has been playing club ball since he was seven years old, club baseball. And this kid has literally been traveling all over the country since he was seven years old playing club baseball tournaments from Georgetown to Nebraska. They were in Georgia last winter, Arizona, Utah, everywhere. And he is now expressing to me how much club has played a part in how he is going to be accepted into high school. 
And I literally thought these were just like two different things. No. Okay. Well, did you also know that the average cost of club baseball in the United States ranges anywhere from $500 to $2,500 a year, which doesn't seem like it's that much, but that is literally just to be a part of the team. That's league fees. That has nothing to do with your equipment. That has nothing to do with your tournament fees. That has nothing to do with your uniforms. That has nothing to do with private lessons, Tra which you're or traveling or travel costs or private lessons, which you're essentially going to have to pay for because the coaching that you're getting just specifically with your team is simply not enough at this age. Like that's, that's where I get great. Like that's what blows my mind. Your club coaches are there to help and support you and they're great. However, if you want to see your kid playing in these tournaments, you are going to have to invest in additional coaching, private lessons, pitching, hitting, whatever the case may be, so that they are excelling even past their club team so that they are overperforming and will actually play at these tournaments because, you know, there's a big team. Not every kid's going to play every tournament, but every kid's required to be there. Yeah, no, that that is a. Uh... I think that's where you see socioeconomics playing a major role. And there is actually something in, <clears throat> I, I forget where, but in, so if we think about like major league baseball players, it's predominantly people who are Latino or from Central or South America and the, hey. or the Caribbean. But it's a small group. I mean, these people have been like groomed like Messi from a young age, and that's what Big they're going to do. Yeah, or it's predominantly it's um you know more wealthy kids in the states, people who don't you can fall. say it rich white kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be politically correct, but it wasn't like that back in the seventies, eighties. It was more pl even playing field. And now it's resources allow you to get to certain places. And uh, it's not good or bad. That's just simply like what it is. It's just unfortunate to think of how many kids have such extraordinary talent, but don't have the financial means to be able to display it the way that other people have, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually read an article when I was putting together this podcast about it was a guy who was a head coach on one of like a really top club baseball team. And he said it just like that, basically that baseball is now baseball specifically. I do want to touch and on golf, a couple of and golf and golf, but he was specifically talking about baseball, how baseball is now becoming what's called like a country club sport. So it's like a lot of these like wealthier families are able to pour endless amounts of money into these children to have them perform. But Here's a little fun little statistic for you. Did you know that only one in 100 kids actually get picked to be in the MLB that have played on club ball teams? Wait, so one in 100? Are, is that 10%, the actual? 10% of the children who are playing in club ball teams, major league or club ball, get picked to be in the MLB. 10%. But that seems high. Does it? Because to me, that seems low. No. Okay. So less than 11, one in one out of 100 or about 10.5 of NCAA male basketball baseball players will get drafted. So okay, not you're reading the exact ball, same one. 
You're talking about um, kids who are able to go play in the NCAA. Yes, but there are only about 5,000 MLB players who played club ball. And that's according to Baseball America. That was in 2017. So I'd be curious to see what it is now. But in 2017, there had been about 5,000 Major League Baseball players throughout history who played one game in travel ball, at least one game. Okay. Which to me still seems low. But if that seems high to you, then maybe we have differing opinions. Because no, I feel that... like that's low. Well, okay. I mean, like, what are the chances of like, okay, so all these kids that are playing club ball in Vegas, like, what are the chances that they're going to get drafted into MLB? I mean, probably like less than 0.2%. Exactly. So, so like is it worth it? One in 20,000. Is it worth it to pour all this money into your kids playing sports in their youth in hopes that they get a college scholarship or get drafted to the MLB? Or do you just say, hey, let's pocket that money and we'll save that money that we would have spent and just pay for a scholarship or pay for a college? Yeah, yeah, pay for college. <laughs> well, I think that it comes down to like when we've all, well, I know I've seen this when I was growing up. Like, are the kids really interested in it? Because there are some parents who are trying to live vicariously through their kids. Oh, and they're like, sure. oh, come on, you hit the, like, dude, you couldn't even throw, like, you can barely even hit the ball now. You can't even run a mile. And you're yelling at your son for not doing, you know, it's like. There was a so, TikTok of that actually recently. A guy was just like berating his son for not throwing or not like hitting the ball when he was pitching it or something. It was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it's like, dude, you can't even get up and run like down the road without like stopping and putting your hands on your knees and almost having a heart attack. Chill out. So obviously there is like good positives to just like the overall of youth sports, which would be like, you know, character development, teamwork, discipline. Friendships. And, like, friendships. Yeah, like how a lot of the kids that Ollie's played with have become lifelong friends. Like we hang out with them regularly. We see them all the time they go to school together or they don't go to school together. But at baseball, we have like this community of like kids that just have literally been together since T-ball. And that's been one of my favorite things, healthy competition, how good healthy competition is not just in your sport of choice, but just like life in general, like in every aspect of life, there's going to be a level of competition, whether you're competing to get a job promotion or, you know, competing to, get good grades even there there's that level where it's like that is also a very healthy healthy aspect of youth sports however with the good always comes the bad and what i fear i don't know if you guys get this vibe from me or not but i'm a very competitive person and i do think a lot of it stems from like when i was a cheerleader i was very competitive i wanted to be the best i always wanted to have the best the highest kicks, the the best jumps, the flattest splits, the highest basket toss. I was a very competitive person. And what fears me, because again, I project and I have been known to project onto my kids, which isn't the best thing, is that the over-competitiveness, right? Like, JJ, you also <laughs> were very competitive when yeah. you were a kid. And yeah, when you I, would lose I a game, you would cry. I don't, I've never cried. You did. I talked to mom about it the other day. Mom <laughs> said that you used to get really angry and you would cry. I would get upset. 
And I'm starting to see some of that in Ollie, which I guess, again, like there's a level of like good, healthy competition, but you want to know where that line is, right? Of Like, when is it too much? When are you not having fun anymore and you are taking this way too seriously? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like when you start adding in like the level of like, oh, you're seven years old and you're already trying or eight years old and now need to like worry about competing for a college scout in 10 years because they also have college scouts coming out to these games. My nephew was getting scouts coming and talking to him when he was 12 years old. Well, that's the thing. The kids who will step up and demonstrate, like they're talented and you can see that at a young, like if you see kids, right. Yeah. Even on the baseball field, like with Ollie and Jack, you can see what kids are like. That's a, that kid is fast. Like he, there's something about that kid. Yeah. Like you can sense that. And I think those kids, and as we get older, like the, it widens between like those who are good and, you know, you're athletic, but those who are like, you're, you're great, but you're right. It's like, how do you differentiate between healthy competition and harmful stress? Yeah. How do you, you? Well, you can't wrap the child's identity in something that's outside of themselves. You have to help them realize who they are, what they are and how powerful and what their potential is while not being attached to how that will unfold in their lives. Because you can't on the baseball field, you are not able to see like, wow, that kid has such an incredible intellect to be able to develop something like computer programs or, you know, medical field or whatever the case may be like, so you just, I guess it comes down to parents being able to really embody the role of being like the number one cheerleader for their child and not trying to force them into something that doesn't necessarily align with who they are, but giving them an opportunity to discover that and try it, but not overburden them with becoming the vision you have of them or for them. Because kids don't just wake up Kids don't just wake up and like, I'm going to be a professional baseball player today. It's usually things that they hear from family, from the TV, from friends. And then they have that. That was my idea when I was young. Like, I'm going to yeah. be an NBA player. It's like, dude, you're not going to get above five, five, <laughs> six on a good day. You, you're you not going to the league, man. I hate to tell it to you. But nobody told me that, you know, but there was so somebody who's like. Were you disappointed growing up? Like when you did realize that you probably weren't going to go to the NBA, did that affect you? Well, it wasn't until after high school that somebody's like, man, you could be really good in college and you could go to college and do all that. But nobody told me that. And when I was a junior, like as we, you know, our, our background story that we did on our podcast a few weeks ago, like I just, when it was the most important time, like junior year, senior year, I, my foundation just crumbled. And so I didn't have any direction. And I was like any 17-year-old kid trying to navigate it for the most part. That's not the best. But no, and then I realized and it was like, well, there's other things. But you got to teach kids there's other things besides just sports, I think, at a young age. But if they love sports, allow them to continue to to thrive in them without thinking that's the end-all be-all. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And that was going to be my next point was setting expectations for your kids as parents. It's good not to put like the weight of like, man, you could be an MLB player if you wanted. You could be in the NBA. Setting these unrealistic expectations for your kids is also very dangerous because then it does set them up for failure. Whereas like, you gotta, you don't look that far into advance, I guess you could say like, hey, like you said, you could be really good in college, maybe get a college scholarship. That would be great for you. Yeah. 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 And then, and then encourage them like, you know, like Dre, our nephew, like you, you're so like, you're creative. You have like this type of mind where you can see things holistically. Like that's more powerful than being able to make every three point shot you shoot. Yeah, exactly. So it's also finding your kids' interests and making sure that you as parents are able to support and hone in on that. Because, like, I joke that if I were to have a daughter, I would be, like, the stage mom from hell because I would expect her to be into, like, gymnastics, cheerleading, (laughs) dance like I was. But that obviously isn't realistic for every kid. I actually was listening to a podcast the other day. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it was basically, she was saying like, you are not a dictate, like you are, you're a shepherd for your kids, right? Like you're not here to tell them how to live their life or to force them one way or another. They are who they are. And your job is to shepherd them into the adult and, in person they're supposed to become not to change who they are but instead to raise who they are like embrace your kid instead of saying like well i'll use drayton as an example drayton would never want to play baseball he loves basketball but baseball is not a thing he's also very 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 smart and very creative when it comes to making videos and stuff of his you know of his characters Mm -hmm. i as parents our job isn't to say like put away put away your toys let's go out and hit some balls Instead, it's to shepherd and to raise them and embrace who they are instead of changing them to who you want them to be. Yeah, yeah. But like, but like Jack, you could say, let's go hit baseballs. And he would do that all day. Every day, nonstop, literally, that's all he does. But that's like, he's drawn to that. And so that's something you could help, help him craft inside of himself. Yeah, exactly. So So I don't really know how to end this one other than just... Don't put too much pressure on your kids to be something that you want them to be. Instead, embrace them for who they are and what they want. And don't feel the pressure of the outside people of saying, like, push your kid into doing X, Y, and Z. They need to be a part of 24 travel club ball teams and travel across the world. And you don't, it doesn't have to be that much. Baseball can be just, baseball can be fun. Sports or can dance. just be fun. Or yeah. any anything. It doesn't need to be competitive. You can just make it fun. So that's all I have to say about it. I just needed to get all of that off my chest. A balanced, like a, a balanced and healthy environment for our children. It's all Even though need. nothing's ever balanced. But anyways, well, with that, Tini, I think that's a good conversation to have. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Um, for those of you who have not yet liked, 
left a rating review for the podcast, please do that. We appreciate it. Those of you who would like to share some um, stories, insights, maybe around this on our website, you can always reach out to us, rootedtomorrow.com. And uh, we appreciate everybody for taking the time to listen to this and many of the other episodes. And remember what you do and how you do it today creates tomorrow. There we go. That's it. Thank you, everyone.